0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous
1: program I was talking about justification by faith and I made a comparison between James chapter 2 verse 24 and Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. And what I was emphasizing was the fact that you really have to decide what you're going to believe that there are options concerning what you can believe. You can believe that God does hold your sins against you, or you can believe that he doesn't. You can believe that he is going to reject you if you violate the law of God, or you can believe that he will still accept you even though you violate the law of God, knowing full well that he is doing a work within you, that he doesn't hold your sins against you, so he can love you, so he can accept you. And this is where I'd like to pick up today. And that is to emphasize the fact that there is no way that an individual is truly going to be transformed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit until they are loved and accepted by their God. That really is the only way. You cannot do it through the law. You cannot experience change and transformation by your commitment, by your devotion, by your determination. You are never going to be able to do enough. For God, you are never going to be able to get your flesh under control enough in order to satisfy the requirements that would have to be described in order to say that you are now acceptable to God. And so there really is no other way to live if you're going to live at all with any sense of peace or rest. You must embrace the complete forgiveness of sins so that you can be loved by your God. You can be accepted by your God. Now, the fact is, is that he created us with a need to be loved. We, we need to be loved. We need to be accepted. He created us in such a way that we have these needs. He made us to have these needs. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. There's nothing wrong with it at all. The problem, of course, is that we look to the world to meet the needs that we have instead of recognizing that he created us in such a way that only he can meet those needs. Only he can love us in the way that we need to be loved. And when we are loved by our God, when we are accepted by our God, when we trust in him and we rest in him and we believe the truth that he loves us and accepts us and we live our daily lives with that recognition Then he will be able to do a work within our hearts, within our being, and he will be able to transform us in ways that we cannot possibly understand. You know, many of the sins that people commit are sins that are committed because people want to be loved and they believe that when they commit those sins, they'll feel loved. There are many sins that people commit because they want to be accepted. And they believe that if they commit those sins, they will feel as though they are accepted. That is why people sin. And so when he reaches out to us and says, I will love you, when he says, I will accept you, when he does that, he's providing us a solution for sin. He's providing us a way that we can experience a reduction of sin in our lives. And so when you see somebody sinning you're looking at someone yourself perhaps you're you're dealing with someone who needs to be loved by their God who needs to be accepted by their God because that is what they really need that is the root cause that is the root issue that is the reason why they committed sin but you know for some reason I keep encountering people who have no interest in the reason why people sin Don't tell me why people sin. Who cares why people sin? Just get them to stop doing it. That's all that people care about. Just stop it. Just get them to stop it. Just stop them from doing it. Who cares why? But I care why. I want to know why. And I want to know what the Lord has to say about it and what his solution is for it. But until I know why a person sins, I know that there is no way that I'm going to know why or how our God will provide a solution for that. And this is what he has shown me. So, it is when a person turns away from the law, it is only then that they can be accepted by their God. If they are living their life according to the law, they will live their life with the perpetual and continual rejection of God, because the law will always say, you have failed. You are not good enough. You are not obedient enough. You have not repented enough. You will never be accepted by your God. You will never be loved by your God when you live according to the law. And so, what will you get as a result? More sin in your life. More sin. Because the reason why you sin is because the needs that you have drive you into sin. And so the more a person pursues the law, the more they will be driven into sin. The more sin they will need in their life in order to alleviate and relieve some of the pressure that they're going to be under. Some of the religious pressure that they're going to be feeling because of the condemnation of God is going to be so intense they're going to need a break on occasion. And this is why religious people can be some of the meanest people you ever run across in your life. Because they are desperate. They are empty. They are alone. They really want to believe what they believe only to recognize that it is doing nothing to change who they are except to change them into a wicked, evil, religious, condemning person, because that's what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to do that. It has that effect. And if an individual has trouble recognizing that within themselves, that's okay. All they need to do, all you need to do, if this is what you believe, is just go ask some people who are close to you and ask them, so do you think that the Lord is really doing a good work in my heart? Do you think that he's really transforming me and conforming me into his image? Do you do you suspect that that's the case? You know, the best person to ask is probably your spouse. You should start with them and then work your way out from there in terms of your circle of friends. But considering that, I'm going to go ahead and proceed into Galatians chapter 2, verse 17. In verse 17, it says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Now, this is what I believe he is saying. I believe he is saying that people sin. We are going to sin. There really is no way to avoid it. Unless he transforms us into himself manifested in the flesh, which I honestly see no evidence that that's what he's going to do. We are going to live in such a way that we are going to be found to be sinners on occasion. It's going to happen. Sin is going to be expressed. It's going to be exposed. It's going to be revealed. We are going to be found to be sinners. So does that mean that Christ is a minister of sin? Does that mean that he did a work in our hearts so that we now commit more sin? We now pursue it in a greater way. We find that that is the way of life now. The way of life now, because of his forgiveness, is to live indulging our flesh. Is is that what, what our Christian life should look like? I don't think so. I believe that he is saying that if we are found to be sinners, it's because we commit sin. Now, we are not sinners according to our new identity in Christ, but according to our behavior, there's lots of sin in people's lives. There always will be until you physically die. Lots of sin will be expressed, but it's not because Jesus made that happen in our lives. It is not a description of the failure of the gospel. It is not a description of the failure of Jesus. It is a recognition that the Lord Jesus is still doing a work within his people, individually and personally. It doesn't mean that he is a minister of sin. It doesn't mean that he's encouraging people to sin. He doesn't need to encourage people to sin. People sin just fine without his encouragement. We don't have a problem committing sin. We've got lots of sin in our lives. The problem is is that the reason why we sin is because we need to be loved, and that's the kind of ministering that we need from him. And so if a person is found to have sin, then this means that this is an individual who needs the love of God more and more, needs to embrace the Lord Jesus for who he is to them. So that's why he says, certainly not. But then he says in verse 18, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Now, what he's talking about here is that if a person is found to have sin because they are not living according to the law, if that's the case, then we might be tempted to turn back to the law and build our lives according to the law. But what he is saying is that he is not going to build his life again according to the law. He destroyed that. If he does try to build again his life that he had under the law, then he will make himself a transgressor because the law stirs up sin. The law stirs up sin in a person's heart, in their life, because it takes them away from the love of God. It takes them away from the acceptance of God. It stirs up sin in many ways beyond that. He gave the example in his letter to the Romans in chapter 7 concerning coveting. He said, I would not have known what it was to covet until the law said, don't covet. And then it stirred up within me every covetous desire. The law stirs up sin through the natural rebellion of humanity where people will say, you know, I think I'm kind of my own God. Don't be telling me what to do. And just to show that I'm an independent person, I'm just going to do it in order to show you that I can I can do it and I can survive the wrath of God through that, supposedly. That's an attitude that some people have. There's the religious pride that gets developed within an individual when a person deceives themselves into believing that they are living in obedience to the law when in reality they are not. Religious pride manifests from there and sin comes from there. There are lots of ways, many ways that the law stirs up sin within an individual. So he is not going to rebuild his life under the law again. In verse 17, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. The alternative is to turn to the law. So he continues in verse 18, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Again, for I through the law, died to the law. That was what he had before. That was what he built before, the law. And what did he get out of that? Death. He died through the law. The law revealed to him his condition. The Lord Jesus provided a provision, that is salvation, so that he could be resurrected into a new way of life. He died to the law so that he might live to God. Because when he was alive to the law, he did not live to God. He did not live for God. When you are under the law, you are not living for God. You may think you are. You may believe you are. But that doesn't mean you are. The reason why I can say that is because you still sin. And if you still sin, you are under the curse of God. You are not going to be blessed by God. He declares by the blessings or the cursings, whether or not an individual is living for him or not. And when he says that everyone will be cursed because no one will meet the standard that he established through the law, when he said that, he said that by default, there is no way that anyone can live for God According to the law. Now, I remember personally, I've done this. This was a very important part of my life at one time to live for God according to the law. I know what that is. I know what that's about. And I can say with deep conviction that when I thought I was living my life for God, I was wrong. I was deceived. I deceived myself. I believed a lie. That's what I believed. I believe that I was living for God, that my life was for God. It was to God. It was devoted. It was committed. It was consecrated. And this is what I'm going to do in order to be right with God, to please God, to be his representative here on earth, to be a reflection of who he is. But you know what? I failed. I did not obey the commandments of God to the standard that he required. And so because of that, with all of my attempts... With all of my efforts, with all of my sincerity, no matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried, no matter what, under no circumstances would I ever be able to go before God and get his confirmation that I was living for him, because I wasn't. There is another way of life that has nothing to do with that at all. And that way of life has to do with trusting him. Trusting him with what? Trusting him with the new covenant. Trusting him with the truth that he has revealed, that he came personally and said, all right, that's it. The old covenant is over for you. I am now going to forgive all of your sins, and that is what will set you free from the law. Now that you have been forgiven, you can be accepted by me. You can be loved by me. Trust in this and live your daily life with who I am, with what I have for you. Embrace me and embrace your inheritance and make use of it and live your life with all that I have for you. Now when I began to live my life with the inheritance that he gave me, when my life became a life of applying the love of God in my life by setting me free, setting me free from the pursuit of sin, just because I wanted to be loved, set me free from pursuing sin, just because I wanted to be accepted. When I embraced him and trusted him, then I began to live my life for God, to live it to God, to live it in the way that he wanted me to live it. And so today, my life is definitely a reasonable reflection of what it means to live a life for God. Is that because I tell people about God? No. Is it because I'm in the ministry? No. Is it because I talk with people about Jesus often and they discover who he is? They discover the new covenant. Their lives are changed. Is that what it means to live for God? No. That is certainly the work that he has given for me to do. And my life is committed to the work that he has given to me. But I believe that that is something separate. I believe that my life of living for God is first and foremost a life of trusting in Him. From the time that I wake up in the morning to the time that I go to sleep, I live my daily life with what He has given to me and with who He is in my life. That alone, to me, is living my life to God, is living my life for God. And I believe that you have been called to this as well. I believe that he has called you personally to live a life for him. But the only way that you are going to live a life for him is if you are no longer living a life under the law, which means that you are no longer living a life for yourself because the life under the law is completely consumed with living a life for yourself I mean why do you live in obedience to the law why why tell me why what do you hope to gain from it what do you expect from God as a result of it and the answer will just about always be the same because I expect him to bless me you're not doing it for him you're doing it for you You're doing it for the blessings that you expect him to deliver to you. That's what your life is about. That's what you live for. You live for you. You don't live for God. And I can say that with conviction because I know exactly what that's about. I did it myself. I have known lots of people who have done that personally. And I believe that that statement that they live a life for themselves is a true reflection of who they really are. And it's hidden in all this religious stuff. It's hidden. It's hard to see. It's hard to find. It's easy to be deceived yourself. But it's still there. Again, in verse 19, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. Only then will you live to God. You must die. You must die to the law. You must die to the world. Only then can you live in the resurrected life that he has for you. In verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And I explained this earlier that if you could truly experience the peace of God, the rest of God, through the law, if that was possible, then you don't need Jesus. Why do you think Jesus came? Do you think he came just to be a cheerleader, just to tell you, you can do it? You can do it. I believe you can do it. Is, is that what he is? You know, to a lot of people who I encounter in the Christian world, that's what Jesus is. He's some kind of a cheerleader in their life, encouraging them directing them, standing behind them, telling them they can do it, they can do it. And then when they fail, he just turns his back on them. What kind of a cheerleader is that? What kind of a coach is that? But that's that's how people live. You know, Christ died for nothing. He really did die for nothing if you won't embrace what he died for. He died for nothing to you. He died for everything for me. But he really dies for nothing to an individual if that individual will not embrace his forgiveness, not only not embrace his forgiveness, but not embrace the implications of that forgiveness. If a person will not embrace the implications of that forgiveness, then he might as well not have died for them at all. For example, how many people do you encounter who believe that God still holds their sins against them. If he still holds their sins against them, then he didn't die for all of their sins. So when he died, he died for nothing. Either he did it for all, or he didn't. Either he did it for the world, or he didn't. Either he did it for everyone, for all sin, for all time, the one time that he was on the cross, or he didn't. So you must choose You must decide what you believe certainly won't change the truth. It won't change the reality, but you must decide what it's going to be for you. You must decide if you refuse to believe that the sin issue is over, then Jesus died for nothing to you, to you, as far as you're concerned. And you may disagree with me, but this is what I see in people's hearts. He died for nothing. There is no real reason for him to die because you've got your confession. You've got your good works. You've got whatever. You've got all kinds of stuff that you can embrace in order to try to be right with God. And I believe you should really take that position, hold to it, embrace it, and really live according to it so that you will eventually be destroyed on the inside and you will see that you really do need his complete forgiveness. Not just a little, but you need it all. Only then, only then, will you see that he didn't die for nothing. He didn't die in vain. He did it for a reason. And he did it for you. So that you could be set free from the law. So that you could be set free from the bondage of religion. So that you can walk in the newness of life. When you finally embrace the complete forgiveness of sins, you will then be able to say that you are crucified with Christ. But until then, you might be partially crucified in Christ, but you're not fully crucified in Christ. You know, you're just kind of partially crucified. Part of you is crucified. You know, that part of you that... Really needs forgiveness, but the other part of you, you know, that's doing pretty good, and so you don't really need so much crucifixion in Christ, do you? You don't really need to be as dead as perhaps you really should be. You still have something in you that's still good. You still have something in you that's still kind of holy. You know, you don't sin all the time like other people do. You know, maybe three hours out of the day you sin, but the the rest of the time, you're doing just fine. You don't need to crucify that part. You just need to crucify that other part that's sinning a lot during those three hours of the day. That's what you need to do. No, this is insanity. When he says in verse 20 that he has been crucified with Christ, he's talking about everything that is within him is evil. Everything. Everything must die. Everything must be forgiven. Forgiven completely. And there is no forgiveness remaining or required because that is enough. Only then can you be loved by your God and only then can He begin to live His life within and through you. You know, there are a lot of people who quote this verse and have no idea what it means they know that there is something here they know that this says something with great depth but you know what just quoting this verse isn't going to reveal it preaching this verse is not going to reveal it it's only when you embrace the truth of the crucifixion that he has died he has forgiven you of all of your sins you have died and you are completely forgiven, only then will you have the opportunity for Him to really live His life within and through you. Until then, it will never be a reality. I have known many people who devoted their lives to proclaiming to others that Christ wants to live His life within and through you. But none of them were ever able to truly experience it for themselves because they would not rest in forgiveness. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. ¡Gracias!